4, starting at verse 21. Right? 
When we see growth in life around us, it's refreshing, it's encouraging, it's invigorating, it's beautiful, it's attractive. And just as growth in the natural world is a beautiful thing to see, spiritual growth is also a beautiful thing to see. Uh, I think a community of Christians who are growing spiritually uh, and learning and developing bring encouragement and hope to those around them. Just sort of as a natural outcome. Uh, but a community of Christians who are not growing spiritually are sort of like a stagnant pond. Uh, now over time, a stagnant pond develops a film of dust and pollen on the top and attracts mosquitoes and flies and doesn't smell very good, right? There might be some life down there in the pond, some fish swimming down there, but uh, on the surface, a stagnant pond is not very attractive or life-giving. So the, all of us need to consider the question, am I growing spiritually or am I just stagnant, right? Are we growing spiritually as a community together? What does spiritual growth look like and how do we pursue it? And that's the question that this passage addresses uh, of Jesus' teaching. It's a collection of a couple of, a few parables that is uh, sort of sim um, uh, comparisons or stories that illustrate a truth that Jesus is trying to get at. So Jesus gives us four images of spiritual growth. Number one, in verses 21 through 23, a lamp shining brightly. Number two, in verses 24 and 25, a measuring cup overflowing. Number three, in verses 26 through 29, a seed secretly sprouting. And number four, a tiny seed multiplying in verses 30 to 32. So each of these images, I want to look at each of these images of growth and what we can learn from them about how we can be pursuing spiritual growth in our own lives and as a community. So first, a lamp shining brightly. Verse 21, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Now the lesson that we can learn from this image of a lamp shining brightly is this. Don't hide your faith. Let it be seen. You know, when Jesus came into the world, he didn't go hide in a corner. Uh, unlike some other religious figures, he didn't uh, live the majority of his life in a cave or at the top of a mountain or in a very remote place. No, he lived among people. He talked with people. He taught people. He ate meals with people. He healed people. Uh, he had conversations with people because he had come to reveal the character of God and the purposes of God to the world. In fact, in uh, John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He described himself using this very image of a lamp or a light. And uh, interestingly, uh, the uh, most English translations of verse 21 say, is a lamp brought in? Uh, but if you, uh, the, the, a more literal translation would be, does the lamp come? It's a little unusual, uh, sort of the grammar. Does the lamp come? come to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand. So Jesus is sort of hinting at referring to himself as the lamp, the light of the world who has come not to hide himself, but to show himself. Uh, so Jesus came not to hide himself, but to show himself. But uh, that's also true of Jesus' followers. 
right? Just as Jesus didn't come into the world and then hide away from everybody, we as Jesus followers shouldn't hide our faith. We should let it be seen. That means in our words and in our actions. So one implication of this would be we should prayerfully look for opportunities to speak about Jesus with people who don't yet know him, right? There are more and more people today, uh, and I'm not talking about in other parts of the world, but right here in Connecticut, who've never opened a Bible or uh, who have maybe only occasionally walked into a church uh, and maybe haven't had an opportunity to sit down and talk to someone who's uh, a serious follower of Jesus. So we should look for opportunities to introduce others to Jesus. Sort of don't hide your faith, let it be seen in your conversation. Uh, but also we should let our faith be seen in our actions. Uh, Matthew 5 verse 14, Jesus said to his followers, you are the light of the world. And in the next verse, he went on to say something very similar to this verse in Mark. He went on to say, nor, uh, Matthew 5, 15, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus is saying in that verse, our faith should be seen not just in our words, but in our actions, in our good works that people can see that give glory to God. So uh, in other words, Jesus is saying that our faith should motivate us to do things that we wouldn't do otherwise. We should do things that we wouldn't bother or care about doing if we weren't following Jesus. So let me give an example. Think about a person in your life who is especially difficult to deal with. Just one? <laughs> you can think of more than one. Now, think about this. How would you treat them if you didn't care about anything Jesus said? Okay, so maybe you would act nice to their face and cut them down at every chance you could behind their back. Right? Because then you don't have to confront them but you're punishing them behind their back all the time and sort of getting back. Or maybe you would just cut them out of your life, write them off, never talk to them again. Pretend if you see them, turn the other way, pretend they don't exist. But then think, okay, what does Jesus say about that? If you are a follower of Jesus, how might God lead you to treat that person in a different way? to let your light shine. Well, through Jesus, you might be motivated to show mercy to someone else who doesn't deserve it. Why? Because you can think about how God has shown you mercy when you didn't deserve it. And acknowledge, yeah, God's shown me mercy when I didn't deserve it, so hard as it may be, I'm gonna show mercy to this other person regardless of whether they deserve it. Or perhaps through Jesus, God can give you the courage and wisdom to confront and challenge someone directly. Not behind their back, but to their face. That's hard to do, right? Because they might not respond well. You, and you can never completely predict how somebody's going to respond if you do that. If someone's harming others or just being constantly getting on your nerves, right? Actually going to them and saying, can we talk about something, right? That's taking a risk. But you know, Jesus gives us courage so that we don't live in fear of what others think of us. 
so much. Right? Those are practical ways that we can let our light shine, that people can see, hmm, you're treating other people differently, even those people who are hardest to deal with in life. Oh, so don't hide your faith, let it be seen in your words and in your actions. The second image, verse 24 to 25, is a measuring cup overflowing. So a light shining brightly, a measuring cup overflowing. Uh, with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. And that word measure was used uh, to um, describe a, me a, a mixing bowl, sort of a common household you know, kitchen item back then. And it would be about two gallons, uh, sort of a large bowl that people would have, almost everybody would have had one of these in their house. So that's the image Jesus is using here. And the lesson that we learn from this image is be eager to listen and learn from Jesus. Now, this is a repeated theme throughout this chapter, uh, this theme of listening. You might notice verse 3, the first word Jesus says in this chapter is listen. Verse 9, he says, if you have ears to hear, let him hear. And then verse 23, he repeats that. And then verse 24, he says, pay attention to what you hear. So Jesus is talking about how we're hearing or listening. It's an important thing. And he's saying, be eager to listen and learn from Jesus uh, because, he says, uh, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now you might say, what does that mean? Well, what it means is what you bring to Jesus affects what you will receive from Jesus. So, you know, if you come to church and you think, okay, one more week, I'll check off the box, I can say I went, I'll get through it, then I'll leave and be gone with the rest of my life, be done with the go on with the rest of my life. You might receive very little or no spiritual benefit if you come to church with that attitude. That's sort of like coming to church with your arms crossed, saying, okay, Jesus, I'm here. I don't really want anything. I don't really need anything. I'm fine. But if you come to church hungry and thirsty for God, wanting to draw close to him in prayer, wanting to encourage and love and, and care for those around you, wanting to receive what God has for you, God will meet you. He will fill you. That's like coming to Jesus with a big mixing bowl and saying, Lord, I need you. Can you come and fill me up? And Jesus loves to answer that prayer. You see, what you bring to Jesus affects what you will receive from Jesus. And, uh, you know, one, uh, one way that we can, one other way to express that is by asking questions in order to learn more. You see, uh, Jesus was teaching this whole big group of people, and he was telling these stories called parables, uh, but then some people came and asked him more questions afterwards. So if you look back in uh, the, uh, I didn't read this verse, but look a little earlier in the chapter in verse 10, Jesus tells a story in the beginning of the chapter, and then it says, when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. So he encouraged the people who came to him and said, we want to learn more. We don't totally understand this. We, you know, maybe we, we don't totally get what you were saying here, but, but help us. Explain more to us. We want to know more. You see, asking questions is a good thing. 
Now, so, uh, occasionally I meet people who were brought up in a church or religious context where they were told it's a sin to ask questions. But that's not actually what Jesus says. Asking a sincere question in order to learn more is how you will learn and is part of how you will learn and grow. So that's that's a way to come to Jesus and say, you know, if you read something in the Bible and you think, huh, okay, I think I get some of it, but I don't know about this other part. Come and ask. Now, this is one thing that we do every week during our Sunday school time. So from 9.30 to 10.15, uh, before the worship service, we have a time to interact with the Bible and we discuss it. So that's something we don't do when we're here in this room uh, as a bigger group, but we have an opportunity to, we usually read a passage from the Bible and then have opportunity for questions and discussion. And that's a really valuable thing. So let me encourage you, if you've never come to uh, Adult Sunday School, come and check it out. Uh, you know, this week and next week, we're doing sort of an, a, a special series on how the New Testament was compiled. And uh, that's a great question. That's a great, uh, we've had some good questions and, and uh, we'll have some more time for questions and discussion next week. But, uh, but let me encourage you, whether it's coming to Sunday School at 930 or in some other place, uh, grow, seek to grow in your understanding of Jesus by reading parts of the Bible and discussing them with others, asking questions to learn more. Um, that's one way that we can keep growing. Uh, so, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And then verse 25, uh, if you just read verse 25 out of context, it can seem confusing, because it says, to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So some people might say, is, is that regressive economics or something like that? But no, it's not a statement about economics. It follows from verse 24. The point is, what you bring to Jesus affects what you'll receive from him, right? If you come to him and you don't really want anything, then you might not get anything. But if you come to him and you really want to know him better, then you will receive more and more will be given to you. Verse 25, the one who has, right? The one who has received, more will be given, right? The more you want, the more Jesus will give you, right? So that's, again, another image of growth in understanding of Jesus. So we've seen the first image is a light shining brightly. Don't hide your faith, let it be seen. Second image, uh, a, um, a measuring cup overflowing. Be eager to listen and learn from Jesus. Third image, a seed sprouting secretly, verses 26 to 29. And this is a fascinating little parable. And it only appears in the Gospel of Mark, not in any of the other Gospels, but the lesson we learn from it is this. God produces growth in ways that we can't see or control. Uh, just consider the farmer in this parable. He only does one thing, scatter the seed on the ground. And verse 28 says, the seed the earth produces by itself. Despite the farmer's ignorance, he knows not how, verse 27, and despite his absence, he's not standing there watching the grain grow. He goes to sleep, gets up, goes about his business, and lo and behold, the seed germinates and sprouts and grows to maturity. Now, uh, this parable is not a realistic description of everything that a farmer does. Right? If you're a farmer and you just throw a bunch of, you know, if you just throw a bunch of seed out 
in your backyard or in you know a garden bed and you just leave it for five months guess what you're probably not going to have very much right because normally you have to sow the seed and water it and make sure the weeds don't come and overgrow the area and make sure that uh, the you know animals don't come and eat the fruit or eat the plants um, but here, the point of this parable is not to provide a comprehensive description of a farmer's life. The point of this parable is that God produces growth in ways we can't see or control. You see, a farmer, uh, no matter how much work he or she does, a farmer doesn't have the power to make growth happen. All that the far a farmer can do, or a gardener can do, is do the best you can to cultivate water, and then you hope it grows. Um, and the power for growth is contained within that little tiny seed. Right? Every part of the plant or the tree that grows is contained in that little seed. And it's, it's sort of amazing how that develops. Um, and Jesus is making a spiritual lesson out of this. You see, the seed in this chapter throughout these parables represents the Word of God. And Jesus is saying that the Word of God has power within itself to produce growth. Um, but it often happens under the surface when you can't see it happening. You see, if you plant a seed in your garden and you put your chair out in your backyard and stare at that place where you planted the seed, are you going to ever see it grow? No. Right? Because it takes so long. The growth happens very gradually, almost imperceptibly. And so in a similar way, uh, if you can't always observe spiritual growth while it's happening. So if you make a daily habit, which is a good habit, of sitting down and reading the Bible for, say, start with 10 minutes a day or one chapter a day, Right? You might develop, you might do more than that, but, but if you make a daily habit of reading scripture or listening to an audio Bible, uh, you might not, you may not always feel like you're growing spiritually while you're doing it. You might not be able to notice, uh, you might not be able to notice change happening in your own life. But if you do that on a consistent basis, God's word will be sprouting in you. God's word will begin to shape your thoughts and your emotions and your reactions and your speech and your actions over time. But it happens gradually and sometimes almost imperceptibly. And sometimes other people, especially people who haven't seen you for a while, will notice if you've really been growing spiritually over a period of a few months or even years. Uh, Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 8, he, said the, he used another analogy. He said, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. And he says, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit, who has the Holy Spirit working in them. There's a mysterious aspect to spiritual growth. We can't force it to happen. We can't fully understand how it happens, but God's Word works under the surface to produce growth. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Uh, several years ago, 
I was working as a campus minister with college students at Wesleyan University uh, down in Middletown. And I was leading a Bible study for five or six guys who were on the baseball team. Now, one of these guys was a serious follower of Jesus, and he loved Jesus, and Jesus was sort of the uh, central, uh, you know, driving force of his life, and, and he, he, he loved God, and he, so he sort of invited four or five of his other friends who were willing to come and check it out, but it was sort of new to them. And they weren't necessarily committed uh, followers of Jesus at that point. And so we met weekly over lunch, we met at the student center, and we looked at probably the Gospel of Mark, I don't remember what we studied, probably one of the Gospels uh, looking at Jesus. And we met for about a year, we had some good discussions, I went to some baseball games, I uh, you know, got, to know, got to know these guys, and, um, but then they all graduated and moved on. And I didn't really think that there was any sort of long-term impact from that Bible study uh, that I could identify. But then about three years later, I get a long email completely out of the blue from one of these guys. And he had moved to New York and he said, you know, I've, I've done very well. I have a prestigious job, lots of money, expensive clothes, a nice apartment, and none of it means anything to me. And he said, you know, I, I didn't tell you all this, but uh, in college I had sort of had some disappointing experiences in life and I basically got mad at God because I felt like God wasn't giving me what I was working hard for. And so he said, you know, neither you nor anybody else could have convinced me otherwise at that time, but I sort of abandoned any faith that I once had. And he said, but, but since then there's been this emptiness that I haven't been able to escape. And uh, so he emails me, he literally says, he says, I think you're the only person I can talk to about this stuff. Do you know any churches I can go to in New York City? What do I do next? I'm literally quoting from the email he said, this is nine years ago. And so we talked and I said, here's a great church you can go to. He ended up going there, his wife, he, he ended up uh, getting married, I think a year or two later. A few years after that, he and his wife were leading a Bible study in their apartment in New York City connected with this church. And it, again, while I was, oh, I, part of it was I'd given him a book. That's, that's the, the thing. I'd given him a book that I thought might be helpful to him at the time, and he didn't read it, and finally he said, I finally picked up that book you gave me four, you know, five years ago. So I didn't do anything to make that happen. I can't take any credit for what God was doing deep in his heart over years. But sometimes you get to see that a seed that was planted maybe lays dormant under the surface for a long time, but in, by God's mercy sort of sprouts up into spiritual life. So God produces growth in ways that we cannot see or control. And that's an encouraging thought. The last image of growth Jesus gives us is in verses 30 to 32, a tiny seed multiplying. The kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed, the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Now, uh, a mustard seed is just one or two millimeters in diameter. So you could hold a hundred of them in your hand. And if you drop one on the ground, you'll probably never find it again because it's so small. And everyone in Jesus' day knew how small a mustard seed was. It was sort of a proverbial expression 
of it being the smallest of all seeds. Now, some people have sort of uh, uh, quibbled with this parable because they've said, well, an orchid seed is technically smaller than a mustard seed, which it is. But an orchid seed wasn't planted in gardens in ancient Palestine, so it would not have been relevant to Jesus' hearers. And besides, Jesus wasn't making exact statements. He's, making, he's pointing to something and saying, it's about the tiniest thing you can think of, right? So, and uh, when the mustard seed is planted, it can grow like a weed. In fact, an ancient Roman writer, Pliny the Elder, wrote this, mustard grows entirely wild. Once it has been sown, it is scarcely possible to get the place free of it, as the seed, when it falls, germinates at once. So some mustard plants, uh, especially in the Middle Eastern climate, can grow up to 10 feet or more high. So unusually high compared to other garden plants. And Jesus said, my kingdom is like a mustard seed. It starts small, insignificant, easily overlooked, but it grows into something large and extensive and unmistakable. Even the birds of the air make nests in its shade. And you might notice that phrase, the birds of the air make nests in its shade, which isn't a normal way of speaking about a mustard plant, but it's actually a phrase that comes from the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament prophets, if you in Daniel chapter 4, and there's a couple other places in the Old Testament where there's a similar thing, but in Daniel chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had a dream. And in his dream, he saw this great tree stretching from earth to heaven. And its branches spread throughout the world. And it was a picture of a kingdom that would spread throughout the entire world. Okay, so sort of a, an image, a common image. And there's the same image is in the prophet Isaiah some other Old Testament prophets. So it says, Daniel chapter 4, verse 12, the great tree that king, the king saw in his dream, whose top reached to heaven, it was visible to the end of the earth, it provided food for all, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches. So it's a picture of a kingdom that would reach to the ends of the earth, and all kinds of people represented by the birds would find shelter in its shade. And Jesus is saying, my kingdom is like that. In fact, my kingdom is what the Old Testament prophets were looking forward to. A kingdom of righteousness and peace that would spread through the entire world. You see, I mean, think about just the history of Christianity. Jesus started with himself and 12 disciples in a rural part of the world. Galilee. Right? Not the center of military or political power, right? But the movement of people following Jesus has spread throughout the whole world. And for the last 2,000 years, the Christian movement has kept spreading like a mustard seed that just shoots up and it grows like a weed. And in fact, in one place, Jesus referred to himself as being like a seed. John chapter 12, verse 24, Jesus used this image of a seed to describe his own mission. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. You see, in order for any seed to grow into a huge tree, 
the seed has to die. Right? The seed has to lose its... It doesn't look like a seed anymore. Right? And yet it sprouts into something else. And Jesus used that image to say, that's what I've come to do. I've come to go all the way down to the lowest place and, and be killed on a cross and be buried in a tomb. But on the third day, he sprouted to life again. And his kingdom has spread to the ends of the world ever since. So what do we learn about spiritual growth from the mustard seed? Well, it teaches that spiritual growth begins with the small things. You see, there's no act of faithfulness or sacrifice or love that is too small for God to notice. And even if nobody else notices, like a mustard seed that gets dropped along the way, nobody else might notice it, but God notices. Prayers quietly prayed Acts of obedience and love and sacrifice are like little seeds that we plant in the ground that might seem small and insignificant and unnoticed, but by God's grace can sometimes multiply into great results. You see, spiritual growth is a beautiful thing to see. Think how beautiful each of these images are of a lamp shining brightly that gives light to the whole room, of a measuring cup overflowing with joy and wisdom, a tiny seed or a seed secretly sprouting, God being at work under the surface in ways we can't even see, and a tiny seed multiplying. Of course, that's a picture of Jesus himself, but it's also a picture of what he can do with our acts of faith and love for him. So brothers and sisters, let's be a people who are pursuing spiritual growth. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for these Images that you gave us of, uh, Lord, that show us the beauty of spiritual growth. We pray that we would experience these things in our own lives. We pray that you would show us, each one of us, uh, perhaps the next step that you would want us to take. Lord, whether it's uh, coming to you and, and asking for more understanding of you, whether it's uh, sharing our faith in our, both in our words and in our actions, whether it's trusting that you're at work under the surface even when we don't see uh, even when uh, we don't see a lot of visible results uh, to our uh, endeavors, or whether it's even uh, following you on the, uh, following you on the path of uh, dying to ourselves in a way that leads to life for others, Lord, we pray that you would make us a growing community of faith and love and hope. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.